0: Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman.
1: Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again today, another episode. My guest today, Nick Najar. Nick's uh, in the mobile home park business, just like me. He's in near Missouri as well. Owns, owns parks, buys, sells, owns parks in the Midwest. Uh, please help me welcome my guest, Nick. Thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having
2: me. Uh, excited and honored to be with you today.
1: Hey, great. Well, I know I know you from the past and we've, we've worked on some deals together as well, but for our guests that don't know you, maybe give us a little more of your background and how you got into this asset class. Uh,
2: yeah. So uh, I have a couple of friends that have been in the business uh, for probably over a decade now. Uh, actually, both of them, I think, are on like 15 years, uh, possibly 10 to 15 years. So they were in it, you know, like most people that are intrigued by the mobile home park business. I've been intrigued <laughs> in the business for over a decade. Uh, about five, six years ago, I went to the first, uh, you know, my, my first Frank Rolfe, uh, you know, Dave Reynolds, uh, Mobile Home University Boot Camp. Then uh, I actually ended up starting a business uh, uh, around that same time. So I kind of put my, my uh, buying mobile home parks on hold for a minute then i picked up activity again bought our first park in 2018 and then uh the the year of covid uh we we actually bought uh three parks and like an 18 month cycle and uh got one set to close here supposed to close today, but that's not happening so uh (laughs) we'll see what happens on that but yeah just uh four parks uh just just cranking away man
1: no that's great man now I know you find some deals off market. Have they all been off market, or have you bought anything on market?
2: It's a great question. So, first deal was on market. Uh, Sunstone listing. It was uh, on the market for a while. Uh, fairly rough area up in the south side of Chicago, and I just I just want to get my feet wet. Got a pretty good uh, deal. Seller carry terms. Uh, actually, in the middle of refinancing that right now, like waiting on the appraisal to come in. So that that should work out really well for us. Uh, and then the second one was a. Uh, 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 off-market cold call to an owner um, and then the third one was uh, a wholesaler uh, one of our uh, mutual friends Corey Woodruff thanks thanks uh, props to him for uh, hooking me up with a deal after we bought that one I started looking again and he's like hey we, you know, we got the deal." it was a very rough park uh, 81 sites uh, 29 occupied uh, homes 15 abandoned homes very rundown, out-of-state owners, just <laughs> a project, but we got a really good deal. Cordy took care of us, and we took care of him, and uh, that we're still in the middle of that project because it's hard to get people to show up to anything, and then the third one was uh, another off-market. Uh, I'm sorry, wait. Uh, I'm getting confused. our fourth one was uh, off-market as well, so two off-market, one wholesaler, and one broker, so a good, good little mix of everything.
1: Yeah, that's that's good. Cool. Now, how to tell? Maybe give me some tips on how you how you're finding off market in today's market because today's market's pretty competitive. There's a lot of guys out there, buyers tie up, tied up, assigners, wholesalers, whatever you call it, and, and it seems like a feeding frenzy at times. Um, I get calls and postcards all the time, but but there still there are still uncovered gems out there. Do you have any special sauce you can share with our listeners?
2: Oh, man, I I actually don't really think there's a special sauce, kind of like most things, like just, we just kind of put our head down and go, we do use an auto dialer, uh, Mojo, Uh, we, we, you know, actually just we're kind of scaling up right now, we have two full time VAs that are combing through our lists, and really just trying to update our owner records is as as good as possible. Uh, But the biggest thing, and I've been uh, talking to my partner, Jason about this, we actually had a conversation this morning, just the the daily, weekly disciplines of prospecting. You know, I, I fortunately have it in my background of sales. Like, you know, just sitting down for sometimes two to four hours a day, just just literally like prospecting, emailing brokers, calling owners, tapping into relationships, reaching out. Uh, ironically post on the Facebook mass friend group today, probably won't get a ton of traction. So <laughs> I see people like, Oh, you know, i all looking to buy parks. It's like, aren't, isn't every single person in this group looking to right. buy, right. Uh, but you know, just, just kind of throwing everything on the wall to see what sticks. So um, yeah, I guess the, the short answer is no, no secret sauce, just working, man, working, working hard to try and find deals. So, and I will say one tip, and this kind of funny story that, that uh, you, you, you kind of, so uh, I called the owner of one of the parks that you own. Uh, I can share it if you want. It's in the St. Louis metro area. I think it closed in February, March. Uh, I called the owner, talked to him in October of last year. Typical owner called, eh, not interested in selling. I got, I got some information out of him. He's like, yeah, you know, I've got this many sites. I, I just threw out a cold offer. Maybe it was like $2 bucks. I don't know exactly. He's like, no, I'm just not interested in selling. <laughs> Three, three months later i see your facebook post Oh, uh, just excited we closed this great deal six of the seven cap great market like probably one of the best markets in all of missouri it really And is. i'm just like wait a second i know that park i looked it up talked to the owner i had to talk to him like the same week i i'm sure i got like, warmed him up like he probably went home to his wife hey got an offer two millionaire park and she's like oh did you take it and he's like no and she's like why didn't you take it and then
1: you know, and you probably called him the next day. And-
2: <laughs> oh, you know
1: what's <laughs> so- funny? That, that's, this guy is, we really tried, we really, we didn't retrade anything on that contract. We really tried to be really nice to the guy because he owned another park. It was 535 pads in, this, in the oh. same trade area. And we're like, we want to get that one. This one was 68. And it was, you know, you're right. Great submarket, uh, direct bill, water sewer, zero park owned homes, 95% occupied nice looking park. It was, it was pretty much a dream. And he told us he gets called every day. And on the day of closing, my business partner went down there to shake his hand and, you know, butter him up to try to get the big park. And while he was there, three people called him and he said, I told you I'm getting other offers. And, and at the last minute, there was a little bit of a closing statement issue that got me pretty riled up. And he's standing there and he said, "Uh, hold on. Uh, they say they're closing today, but call me tomorrow. Looks like they're, <laughs> tr- looks like they're threatening to walk. And, and Andy was there with them. He's like, he's not bluffing. Like these calls are happening. So we're like, all right, let's close the dang thing. And we got well, it closed. But yeah, that was so funny. Yeah. I think that just proves, I mean, you're, what you're doing is right. Right. You're, you're, you're trying all the angles, letters, cold calls, brokers, knocking on doors, personal relationships. And then sometimes it's just, it's just timing. It was just this guy, he had no debt on, he had no debt on the park. He had a little man cave in the shop there and he went there every day and tinkered around. He was cash flowing hundreds of thousands a year, just tinkering around. Didn't need the money. Um, didn't do a 1031 just took the money. He knew all the residents by name. And I asked him later, I go, was he a nice guy? He he like him? And they're like, he was a wonderful man. And, they, and everybody loved him. It was like, you know, so yeah, it was, we got, we got a little lucky, I guess on timing, but, uh,
2: yeah, I, I just love, I mean, that's, it's one of the, every single, you, you get a lot of what I like to call professional operators, like guys that you and me, like we run it like a business or at least try to and all that. And then you got the guys that built the mobile home park that, that have owned the park for 20 years. And they're, they're just such a unique type of individual that we learn so much from, right? And they're just just such good down to earth people that uh, it's just one of the things I love about this business. And I, I think the lesson learned is like, we just you have to follow up every month or two. I mean, you can't let two months go by because they they get literally that, That's a perfect example. You know, a hot market like that, he he literally does get a hundred phone calls a week. And why these guys talk to all these people? Who knows? I don't know. Well, and, and why
1: they don't take it take it to market? I mean, we probably we bought that deal for like yeah. two point seven million. It was worth every bit of three million on the day we closed, yeah. and and then it was below market rents. So we raised rents twenty bucks. And it was like three eighty five to four oh five. Well, now it's it's like a seven point seven five cap on direct bill of water sewer. Ninety days in, you know, right. and, and 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 zero park on homes and zero vacancy, and you know, it's like somebody would have paid him, somebody would have paid him a five
2: cap on that. Okay. oh easily maybe even more i mean just because yeah. it's uh like i said great great market so and yeah it's just you you get a lot of you know since covid too i think more than anything there's just so much money flocking the space and you know you see these deals trade and you talk to the broker like there's no way it's going to trade at that and sure enough it does you know and it's it's just wild so uh, and actually yeah it was, so that was one of my questions for you kind of leads into that so I actually was talking to a broker, and you said something to the broker. I don't, I don't know how it came up, but basically, you're like, oh, "I don't, I don't negotiate with broke. Like, I, and maybe I'm wrong. It was something to the effect of like, you just don't, you don't compete on offer. Like, there, it was a call to offer. So, how do you handle calls oh, okay. to offers? So, the and broker in general, like, what do you do for underwriting to stay competitive? Right, like, how do you, do you even look at broker deals? You just focus on offer market, and What are your maybe tips on how do you compete in this crazy competitive environment?
1: you know it's here on a call for offers i rarely put the energy into them because in order in order to be be competitive you got in order for me to put my best offer forward i need to kick the tires on that deal i need i need to really underwrite the financials i need to underwrite the property tax projections i need to visit the park i need to, i need to look at the infrastructure i will make the preliminary assumption that the survey is good the title's good the phase 1 is good I'll I'll have to understand the the microeconomic market of that particular geographic location, and then I got to run a a number of iterations from a financial uh, financial performance, discounted cash flow analysis, including depending on the deal. Let's say the deal was eight million dollars, and I'm going to need two and a half, three million dollars cash to get in the deal. I also need, if I don't have two and a half, three million dollars laying around, I'll also need to underwrite or make an estimation of how well i'll be able to raise that kind of capital in this kind of time because i'm gonna have to recognize there'll be somebody else you know at this at this dance that's going to be a pretty girl right they're going to have 25 million in checking and they're going to show their checking statement so that person is going to be able to pay less than me because they're quote better buyer um so they're going to pay so i got to beat their offer And chances are the guy with 25 man and checking is, has got some serious cash drag and is looking for a lower yield just to put his money in the game. So he's going to make a strong offer anyway. May have already raised, I mean, I was competing, competing one day against somebody that $500 million line of credit with JP Morgan. I mean, so on a call for offers, in order to put my best foot forward, there's a lot of work. And I, and I, and I've, I've bid on them and I've been off by half. And I'm sitting like, I mean, Sam Zell says this in his book when they stay, this is back in mostly multifamily, but they were missing deals and all these new guys are coming in, all these, all this new money, all these new projects. And he, and he wasn't buying, they were bidding. And he said, we're cursed because we know the numbers. Mm. And that's my problem on some of these call for offers. Like I know what I can afford to pay. And it's it's not like if off market. There's some brinksmanship and negotiation with, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to buy your can of Coke with a couple dents for 80 cents and you're trying to sell it for a dollar. And a call for offers, somebody's so thirsty, they're gonna pay $2 for that can of Coke, even if it doesn't make any economic sense. But then also there are people who have a different cost of capital. When I, I used to work at a big law firm and we represented one of the know, 10 or 15 wealthiest families in the world, and they, they had a cost of capital and both debt and equity was cheaper than ours, cheaper than the average bear because they had so much money to place they had major borrowing power, but they also, look, we're sitting on 2 billion right now. We'll put some in a 3%, 4% yield because we want to diversify against the stock market. We already got enough treasury stuff. you know, And we're losing how much in interest, you know, potential interest. So yeah. it's hard to know who you're competing with on any on-market deal. On a call for offers, um, a lot of times I had, a, I had a broker on my show, and I don't think he told me this on, on the air, um, but what he told me is he had a listing and it was, it was a substantial listing. he, he, he this, this, his client said, we'll give you a commission, but the, normally a commission statement will, agreement will say, if you get 10 million, you get paid your 5%. His case, it said market price subject to our review. He brought an offer that was like a forecast premium as a Denver, Colorado deal, premium pricing brought it to the client. And the client said, yeah, I'm really looking for like a three and a half cap. He's like, I put hundreds of hours into this project and your expectations are unreasonable in the marketplace. Well, I'll just hold it then. So he, that's kind of like call for offers for me. So what I've done is I've I've really kind of shied away from them. If it was like in my lap, like in a priority on the park, I'd probably do it. But I've looked at some that are, you know, call for offers in fi- five or six portfolio in Iowa. And I'm like, in order for you to go look at five or six parks and do all this work, spend all this time and money to be off, it was, it just became kind of disheartening. Um, yeah. So that's kind of how I've approached those from a valuation perspective. You, you got to look, you got to look at your yield profile. And then I've had one deal where I really pursued it hard. And I, I basically was willing to pay a little premium and take less of a piece for myself in the syndication. And it still made sense for me, but you know, I know you and Jason, you're big fans of Tony Robbins. And at, at his conference, I listened to uh, Keith Cunningham, the original Rich Dad. Yep. And I sat there and talked to Keith in the lobby. And, and my company's growing. And he said, let's say your company makes a million dollars and you got four people. Let's say your company makes a million dollars and you got 400 people. Which company would you rather run? Mm hmm the company only four people is considerably less stressful. Now maybe you want to feed more families and there's some other alternative motives, but you know, his point was, you only got so much energy, so much time to chase so many dollars. And I can't chase every single off market deal or on market call for offers deal because you're, you might be, you know, picking up pennies and stepping over dollars. And so we've really, we've really focused on off market. Um, and it's it's worked out pretty well for us. And we, we've and we've. I mean, in this market, we've been buying deals. And I'm in our contract right now on a deal that's a 13.5 cap, 40 minutes where I own another park in a good trade area. That's off market. An 89 year old lady is selling it right. So I can't get that on a call for offers. So you, right. in the last couple of years, cap rate compression has covered up a lot of sins of the past. Um, <laughs> conservative off market pricing covers up a lot of sins of future operations or missed assumptions. Right. So there's a long, long answer to your, your question, Nick, but that's how we look at them. Yeah. I'm open to, open to hear, you know, do you have any better ideas uh, that I'm missing there? I, well,
2: I don't. And that's, so do you even look at broker listings? Like, do you, do you take I, a I, I look, at, I look at I look at I
1: look at them, but, but, but not very hard to be honest. Yeah. I have, I have, I have, I have not looked at any one of them for more than about a half an hour in the last six months. Yeah, so mostly, that most that of them I look enough. at like two seconds and there are some brokers that I, I delete them as soon as they come in because I've I've chased deal, their deals and they're and they're so unreasonable on their price expectations and on their getting you to pay for vacant lots and you pay for for future market rent growth <laughs> that I don't even that I'm like I'm not even gonna waste my time and then they'll yeah. sit there for they'll sit there for a year in the yeah. hottest economic climate for this industry and it's like you've been on the market for a year I'm not so I so I've and I've made reasonable offers on them and they, and they don't even, it's not made sense. So there's some brokers that I don't even, I'm not going to say who, but there's some brokers that I don't even, if it was, if the deal was next door, I wouldn't even look at their listing.
2: Yeah, no, I hear you. I think, I think that's a challenge for us is sometimes these owners, park owners are pretty unreal, unrealistic. And then you also have brokers that are telling them, oh, we'll sell it this. And it's, it's, it's uh, crazy times, but you know, um, we just do what we can, so. Well, the brokers
1: don't even agree with it always. I have a broker who I've bought from before, and he told me about a deal in my trade area. And he started to call me. It's it's a pocket listing. It's coming online soon. All right. It's here. I go, I know that. He starts talking 140 lots. It's not yet sub-metered, below market rents. I'm like, okay. And I'm like, get on my jacket. I'm like leaving my desk. And then he says, he goes, it's only a 5.2 million. And I go, wait a second. I do the math. I go, 5.2 million? How many, do it again. I go, it's supposed to be like 2.6 million. And he said, well, let's just say that the, the value it took to get the listing is much higher than the value we proposed in our first listing proposal. So, <laughs> so, if I, so, so he goes, by the way, would you, would you help me out? Would you make a lowball offer to get this guy sensible so we can sell this deal? And I was just like, so I took my jacket back off, went back to my desk and I was just like, call me when and it sat there for like eight or nine months. And then, then I, <laughs> then I sold the deal and I was going to do a 1031. I was like, maybe I can pay a little premium. They got 1031 and I called him and it got tied up that day. And it had um, dropped to like 2.7 million. I mean, but he got his commission, you know, so yeah. that's,
2: this is the it world. does seem to work. In. Yeah. i got another question for you. Just curious. So I know I, I, I think about, you know, lessons learned and mistakes a lot. And I think everybody, when they're, you know, new first or second part, they make mistakes, but do you, any any like lessons learned or mistakes you see people make when they get that like say 200 to thousand lot range like you know I think there's a difference between somebody new they're always going to fumble right but do you see any common things that happen when you're when somebody's kind of scaling and growing that you might you know caution against or, or anything along those lines
1: that's a good question I mean I I, I see this mistake and I made, I made a mistake there are some big skilled operators that oh, operate uh, portfolios in all parts of the country i just think that's a lot harder and you're going to need a lot more and a lot better staff and it's going to reduce your margins but if you get if you can scale maybe it's okay but what i see you guys doing is once you get outside your you know you're at two parks you're at three you're at four you're at five well then you've kind of tapped your current markets in a lot of cases and then you stay oh i'll just i'll just stretch and i'll go six hours away and i'll just stretch and i'll go five hours away in their direction well, i'll just stretch and i'll go to this tertiary market that doesn't have any, I can't get to very easily. And, and then you, the things the wheels start to come off because it's, it's not twice as hard. It's five times as hard. And you only got twice as much top line revenue. Yeah. And, you, and, you, and, you, and, and, and then incrementally, you know, you add 50 pads, you can't hire a regional manager. Right. So you gotta, you gotta make the decision. Are you going to hire before you're before you need it or after you need it? And, and I've done both and I've seen both. And I come back to at this point in my life, um, Noah didn't build the ark when it started raining. <laughs> he built it in preparation for the flood. So yeah. uh, I kind of just budget, like I got another attorney position posted right now. I'm going to, I'm anticipating more legal work coming in. I need another attorney. I'm going to hire that person now. If I can't keep them busy eight, 10 hours a day, well, then I'll find something else when we'll work on in-house if I, but I don't want to, have five hours, six hours, eight hours, ten hours additional legal work come in every day, and then I gotta just me and the other guys gotta just absorb that. So that's kind of how we look at it. I love it. Yeah. What, about I, I, you? what, what, are, your, what are you? What are you? You've you've grown considerably the last two three years. What are some lessons you've learned, or some maybe some growing pains, or or some you know tac- tactics that you implemented that are not growing, that you you avoided potential pain
2: yeah yeah well i i made a list so i i'll just run through the list and then you can pick maybe pick one to dive into so so zoning uh always zoning you probably deal with that almost every week i would assume uh it's not just getting the zoning letter though would be my suggestion but actually like looking into like permitting and like talking to the fire department make sure there's no fire hazard so you had uh my my good friend steve at, at due diligence partners on And I've learned so much from them and hiring them. Like just the little things that other people have run into that they now ask for uh, can really help. You know, you hear crazy things about, you know, uh, just cities being crazy, fire departments being crazy, and that they can always pull that health and safety trump card. So you got to just double check on that uh, in your due diligence. Uh, Park-owned homes, uh, old park-owned homes are terrible. Uh, I, I told somebody last week, I'm like, I'm just... Uh, so burnt out on park owned homes right now. Cause some of these parks we bought last year, like 60, 70, so we're trying to get rid of them and just, they, <laughs> they just don't, they'll, they'll crush your, your, your bottom line, you know, five, seven, they crush, million. they crush
1: your reserves. And, then, and they're, they're, they're not a short-term fun project. I mean, I've done it where I was telling somebody earlier, like I've spent $20,000 on a $10,000 mobile home and that is not fun. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I would rather spend, you know, Th- i'd rather give it away for free give away a ten thousand mobile home for free than spend twenty thousand to make it worth 10 you know yep. and, and you I've, know, I've done it i've done it 10 times in one park and then you're like why am i in, <laughs> why am i in for two hundred thousand dollars on 10 1975 trailers like because you want to save them you want the occupancy
2: yeah it's a tough one so that's that's uh brutal and i we pay attention to that now like track every every home in our you know the, i think we were 12 to 15 on a couple and you can learn a lot just by looking at the numbers. So that's you know a big thing. That's a huge focus for for me. It just you know uh, operating procedures, traction, knowing your numbers, looking at your reports every month. Uh, I've just learned that's just critical for any business owner. But in our business, it's very management intense, and and you have to be focused and disciplined and hold people accountable and that type of thing. Uh, a couple other random lessons learned. We can elaborate if you want. So HUD, you know. <laughs> I didn't even know what HUD was. Black Park. <laughs> like you, you go to boot camp and you know, a lot of it goes over your head. Like, oh, you got to prep this. I still remember like, oh, we got these two lots and we're going to move new homes in. And like talk to the installer. He's like, oh man, that's not going to pass out. I'm like, what's HUD? And so mm-hmm. the costs of a new home are crazy, especially now with COVID. So just understanding the actual costs to, to bring in a home. It's not just the home. It's prepping the pad with the six inch frost-free foundation and all that fun stuff. Uh, let, me, let me
1: touch on that more because yeah, I, sure. I got a fun story in the end. Just for our listeners that don't know HUD, I mean, everyone knows the department, but there are some states that are HUD states, like I'm sitting in Missouri right now. Missouri is a HUD state. Kansas, two miles away, not a HUD state. If it's a HUD state, you have to install the homes to their guidelines. And then in Missouri, it depends on where the frost line is. So where I'm sitting in central Missouri, it's 36 inches. So I have to put in 36 inches deep of concrete. And then a pier, and then and then two feet wide by two feet wide by thirty six inches deep, and then on a single wide, you, you got to do those about every eight feet. Typically, you got ninety foot centers in your i beams underneath the home, and then you probably have like a, a an extra big concrete anchor on one of the in the middle in the back. You're talking twenty one piers. You're talking thirty six hundred dollars in concrete, and then you got to hire a licensed installer, and then you have you have certain requirements for skirting with some baseboard underneath, and you've got. You've got to have a vapor barrier. It's got to be level, which makes sense, right? But you add that all up, you're talking a good 12, by the time you put an air conditioner in there and a deck, you're talking a good 13 to 16,000 conservatively on site prep per home. And I owned a park. Uh, I've since sold it in Taylorville, Illinois, which is 20 miles south of Springfield. And when I was doing my due diligence, I was looking for comps in Springfield. And big national operator came into Springfield, Illinois, and put in. They, they literally told all the old homes to move out, they, which is crazy because they weren't that old. They moved to the park next door. So I heard a story from the guy next door. He's like, I got like 60 organic move-ins overnight. Oh the new guys with all their money came in, they put in all brand new houses, like a hundred of them at once. And they were all the same, like same model, same color. He's like, it looks stupid. It looks super cookie cutter. Came back a couple weeks later, all of them are sitting on the street, double stacked and triple stacked and and parked elsewhere. And they said, what happened? He said, the state came by and said, you didn't do HUD sets. And they said, what are HUD sets? And they had to move every one of those houses that had uninstall, move them, put in concrete, reinstall them again. I mean, it was a substantial, substantial expense and, and set them back months. But so you definitely don't want to get on the wrong side of the law with that stuff.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's uh. That's crazy. Yeah. I just started budgeting 15 to 20 grand just to prep, you know, like you said, everything, uh, install, pad prep, you know, it just, just makes sense to budget it in high, you know, estimate higher. And then, you know, if you save some money, uh, that works great. So yeah, HUD is a crazy, crazy little thing we deal with in our business. Uh, Let's see, what's my other uh, lessons learned? Uh, you just got to get creative and be real with sellers. Um, you know, we have a motto in our company, tie it up and figure it out later. So, <laughs> you know, we, you know, there's a lot of times you're like, eh, not really sure, but the money will come for the right deals, whether, you know, you're going to raise money or, you know, there's a lot of guys that are hungry to get in the space. And, you know, we, we partner with a lot of uh, folks currently, guys like you, you know, that, that, that do a lot of deals uh, and, you know if it ever doesn't work out for me personally or for my company like there's always a buyer for for the park so you know we you know it can save somebody so much time to get get a deal uh a lot of times people know the deal and it's just like oh yeah i know the deal you're under contract all right let's let's do it We, we had a little one right now we're doing like guy was under contract two years ago couldn't come to terms and we get on a contract and we're like, this is just too small for us, not a fit. And he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll take it. Knew everything, knew, knew the park better than we did. So just tie it up, figure it out later. Uh, just good professionals. I mean, I, I just, you know, I've enjoyed working with you. I haven't, uh, We're uh, Adam and I just, you know, decided we're gonna use you as our attorney moving forward uh, for, for mobile home park stuff. Uh, but, you know, I've learned a ton in the few deals that we've done together and uh, good attorneys, hire professionals frank ralph talks about you know pros versus joes like just looked at a couple of mistakes that i made last year and trying to save a couple bucks it's never ever worth it <laughs> so uh good professionals uh high standards is, is really important so uh and the last thing is just winter's coming up winter eyes we got hit hard you know it's funny we had a, one of our guys it took him forever but he went in he went it was a new park right we we bought in February, COVID happened in March. So just nothing we can do to change, change that. But, you know, come wintertime, we're like, we're, we're, we're winterizing all these homes. And he spent a long time and he buttoned everything up. And then we closed on a, a property February of, of this year. And the owner just, he would like, you know, a typical owner, oh, just, we just tell everybody to, you know, keep their water on a slow drip because, you know, that's the best way to do it. And it does work. It's like, well, if you have good heat trace, it should work. It's, it's in St. Louis, right? It's not like we're up in Minnesota. Uh, but the one park that we spent a ton of money and a ton of time on to make sure everything's buttoned up, literally zero zero issues of lines freezing or anything. And then all kinds of issues at, at the one that, you know, just just by spending a little money, taking the time to inspect each unit, uh, is huge, especially this time of year. So I remember, I think you talked about your podcast. I, I felt bad for you. You had you had some issues. You're getting out there, getting after it with those guys too. So uh, yeah, man, we had it.
1: We got well, we got bad timing. Yeah, one it felt it was a mistake on our end on due diligence. We didn't check the tenant-owned homes to see if they had heat tape um because it's in Kansas City market. It's cold. They've been here every year. Presumably, they have heat tape. So we didn't, we didn't worry about the tenant owned homes. And then we ended up getting a prolongated uh, closing and we closed late January. And then it got crazy cold for like two weeks here in Missouri. It was, you know, minus 10 degrees or whatever. And every one of those homes froze and then they had sewer clogs and the sewers, they weren't clogged enough normally to like, cause we didn't have complaints from them. They weren't clogged to keep the you know toilet from flushing until the, the water in the pipe was frozen was cold so basically the sewer lines were all like half clogged we never knew and then once it slow drip it was became ice and then they had ice ice coming up their toilets with all their crap in it and it was a huge mess and you couldn't put heat tape you couldn't put heat tape on the plastic sewer pipes really anyway so it was it was the big problem yeah we were out there we had guys out there they were taking shifts in the truck we were out there from dark till dark for yeah days and days deep you know heat I and mean, then it got so cold our they ran out of kerosene in the market so we had to use diesel fuel i don't even know this diesel fuel freezes if it gets <laughs> so cold so then you had to put thinner in there so then because uh, it was in your your propane your your kerosene heater wouldn't work because you had jelly in there for diesel so yeah man the, the polar vortex bit us really at that one park um but yeah, it was it was brutal. So, yeah, we
2: when I have got friends down in Texas, Austin, Texas, they're like no power for three, three weeks. I mean, it's just crazy. That is that same time of year, I think. So you just, you know, got to do your best and prepare. But, you know, can't change things like global pandemics or natural disasters and just got to, uh, you know, deal with these uh, first world problems that we we deal with. So, right. um, yeah. We actually got lucky on that.
1: I, I thought I, was, I thought my whole water system maybe was going to blow at that park because the clogs were so bad. And, and we ended up losing we had leaks and we ended up losing, I don't know. A couple the water bill was something like 10,000 a month before we bought the park and it was just consistent. and then we had a leak and jumped to like 15,000 the next month. So we, it was a mainline leak. We went and found it, we fixed it and through the process we found two. Well, turns out one of them had been there forever. And we didn't know it, so our next water bill was 5000 a month. So we fixed the problem without even, but we never would have found out if it wasn't for the freeze causing the second one on the same line. So it, it, thought, yep. for a while there, I was really stressed I was going to have a half a million dollar water issue, and instead I started saving five grand a month. So
2: there you go, it's always a good thing. Oh, that's that's great. Yeah, we had an issue. Uh, we <laughs> metron meters like just haven't been able to recapture them. like what the heck is going on. Had leak testing out, there's like no leaks. I, I talked to Bill Baird at Metron, I think you had him on recently and he's like, Oh, well, you're, you we pulled up the water scope and I'm like, What's water scope? Like my assistant was always in there, like it didn't pay attention to it, right? Just so such a that's a huge lesson learned. Like like thousands of dollars we lost by me neglecting to pay attention to something like that. The the meteors just weren't getting a proper read. He's like, oh, you just got to take them off, clean them out. They're probably, you know, dirt, debris stuck in there. You've had them for a couple of years. These old parks with old infrastructure, you know, this park, very old infrastructure. You know, one of the, when we were uh, infilling homes, we put in, you know, four new sites and brought in uh, three homes. And like the plumber was like this, they, they had the water line was actually like a refrigerator line like not even like copper or anything like the, the line for that you would use for like a, 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 a residential refrigerator. That's what was running the water to one of the homes. Like just, <laughs> you can't make wow. it up. Right. So, you know, just dealing with old infrastructure is uh, tough and, you know, I think that's the, the biggest thing that everybody harps on. just, you just got to be very thorough with your due diligence. And, um, <laughs> so anyway, that's uh, crazy. I love it. Um, yeah, man. I, what do you got? Any other questions for me? What?
1: No, I mean, just uh, in general, any other, any other tips you got or any other fun stories from your, your experience?
2: Oh man, I could share stories all day. I'm uh, <laughs> trying to think of fun stories. Yeah. I don't, nothing comes to mind. Maybe on another, another episode. Who's, or the, something.
1: who's the craziest, who's the craziest seller? What's the craziest seller response you ever got or dealt with? Uh,
2: anybody, well, pull, anybody pull
1: a gun on you or anything like that?
2: Yeah, no, no. Uh, we're we're dealing with the, the most challenging deal right now. So we're, you're familiar with the deal. We're under contract. I'm not going to say where or anything, but we my my buddy Adam uh, and I are partnering on it, and we talked to you about it. And uh, seller finance, really good terms. Last week we we call the uh uh the the title company calls the seller to uh work the the loan payoff right he owes the bank some money and it's like hey you know gotta coordinate the loan payoff he's like i'm not what do you mean i'm not paying off the loan what are are you talking about (laughs) so so then that immediately obviously triggers a call to our attorney and he explains and like what do you mean like he didn't know and it's like kind of a rookie mistake for my my buddy adam like to not ask the seller hey how much money do you owe we just like he's own parks he's an old school he's a maintenance guy he built the park this is another park. Like, his old school maintenance. He gets. He's in his eighties, and uh, yeah, just I don't know. We are still kind of confused. Like, he didn't know or didn't think about it or what. So, what so
1: was he? Did he think he was gonna just? You guys yeah. were gonna accept him as a second, or was he yeah. planning on just taking your your down payment and be like, sweet, I'm floating on this. These guys are he, screwed.
2: Well, he think that he thought that he could take our down payment of two hundred fifty three grand and keep his note he i think it was like 370 grand so basically yeah he thought he wouldn't need to come up with 120 grand so we're just we're still dealing with it man it's it's just crazy and it just he's just it's just very difficult right now so it i mean i think we've done uh, i think we have like 11 under contract right now and the hands down the hardest deal this year actually ever i think this he's all over the place he's like what, what do you mean he's like changing his mind and like we think that he just doesn't want to sell our finance anymore. Didn't fully think through it. Probably had bad legal counsel. Uh, hmm. But we'll, we'll see. I'll let you know on that one. I'm hoping and praying we get that close. So that's a crazy difficult seller uh, sellers story.
1: <laughs> yeah. There's lots of those, those guys can be obstinate. We had one, a client deal where the guy didn't realize he had a prepayment penalty on his, CMBS loan. It was like three hundred thousand dollars, and he only had a hundred thousand dollars equity. Yeah, so I was like, and he's filing bankruptcy. I just got the I got the mail right here. We oh, had a client dropped the deal, but I, you know, our firm was in the case, and he just became non-responsive. We sued him for specific performance. He never showed up. Never showed up mm-hmm. to court. Never. We were going to get default judgment. We Well, then find out the debt's more than we knew because mm-hmm. he had a different loan. It wasn't, it wasn't showing up in title and all this. So it was, it was, it was a prepayment and all this stuff. So it was a big headache, but uh, yeah, crazy sellers that decide not to sell or decide to change the terms. I got
2: another funny story I just saw. This is like uh, we got a new manager and her husband just, for some reason thinks that he's, you know, taking over. So we got a, had a riser issue. Plumber's out there. He's out there talking to the contractor. We're like, literally, why are you even talking to the contractor? But plumber's like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, I can fix it. It'll be, you know, 300 bucks. You know, I'll get it done today. He's like, no, no, I got this. I got this. I'll, I'll do it for 50. He goes, talks to another resident, gets a resident, dig the hole, first or second dig with the shovel, busts the water line. we got a mainline break. We got, like, we don't even know how, like, where does this resident even think that he has a right to like, dig on a property? It's just the craziest thing ever. So we're like, you know, a $1,300 mistake that was totally just a resident being silly. Uh, but that kind of stuff happens all day (laughs) every day it's just part of part of our tenant base and you just gotta do your best so uh yeah yeah. Yeah. there's lots of
1: crazy stories like that that's yeah they're not going to end with you or me unfortunately no part of the game
2: definitely part of the game that's for sure
1: all right nick well man i appreciate you spending time today appreciate you giving us some stories and some tips Uh, where can people reach you if they want to reach out
2: uh, I think our website, our new website, elephantscp.com, So our company's elephant capital partners. So it's elephant, uh, cp.com.
1: There's gotta be a story behind elephant. What is that about?
2: Yeah. <laughs> so funny. Uh, I, I hate to say this, but you have to ask Jason. So Jason is the creative marketing guru of our company. And he came up with it one night because they're looking for something catchy. And, uh, I, I think there's a lot of, uh yeah you have to ask jason we'll, we'll put it on the website it's actually not on the it's a brand new website so uh it's not on there yet but we'll, we'll put it up on the website and you can you can email us and we'll we'll tell you the story behind it because there is a story i just i'm gonna not do it justice so all right uh, the, the suspense
1: <laughs> continues the, 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 cliff, the cliffhanger <laughs>
2: go check it out yeah check on the new website yeah but contact anytime that's the easiest way to reach us and uh, happy to help uh, love partnering deals. We, we do a bit of, I don't like to use the word wholesaling, but, but we definitely partner with other guys like you that are, you know, serious buyers that deals that don't fit too small, too big, just don't really fit our criteria. Uh, we've been doing quite a bit more of that. So happy to connect, build relationships, help however we can. So, um, yeah, don't, um, yeah, just reach out to us anytime.
1: All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Nick.
2: Thanks for having me, man. It's been fun. Take it easy.
0: See ya.